the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I'm Tom Mueller. This is Colorado Issues, and there's no bigger issue in life than families. My guest is Mitzi Perdue, author of How to Make Your Family Business Last and How to Communicate Values to Children So They'll Love It. You had an op-ed before uh, Thanksgiving uh, on uh, Fox uh, about how families should approach Thanksgiving and the really inevitable uh, troubles that come along around uh, Thanksgiving dinner for families. And we're we're a few weeks after Thanksgiving, but I thought it'd be interesting to talk about, you know, Thanksgiving dinner as kind of a catalyst for talking about your book and talking about uh, uh, just families in general and maybe look back on what our listeners did wrong uh, to produce tension uh, that Thanksgiving dinners are so notorious for so we can sort of do a post-mortem and learn from the past for the future going forward. Would that, would that be okay? I'm up for it. Because I've, I've, trust me, I've got a ton of opinions on, on how families can strengthen their bonds rather than fray them, Yeah, uh, which happens a lot if you, if you don't get Thanksgiving right. So let's, let's learn how to do it right. Okay. Well, the elephant in the room is politics. I can't tell you how much I hear of how families are just torn apart by politics. My family of origin began in 1890. It was the forerunner of the Sheraton Hotel chain, which my father co-founded. Mm-hmm. We've been, we just celebrated our 127th reunion and we still are together as a business after all these years. And the Purdue family, Purdue Chicken, has also been together since 1920. We have some ways that I think are really pretty effective and psychologically sound. And the first one is, the rule is, we talk about what unites us and not what divides us. And the psychology behind that, and oh, I just am eager to share this with everybody, is There's a whole field of behavioral economics that studies this kind of thing, and they come to the conclusion that your chance of arguing somebody into changing their view of President Trump (laughs) or pretty much any other deeply held view is essentially zero. So since you can't influence the person that you're you're tempted to argue with, don't even bother. There's there's no payoff. There's no benefit. But... (laughs) To substitute for arguing politics, which is, to my mind and to the mind of a lot of psychologists, completely destructive and doesn't do you any good at all, because you're not going to change anybody's mind. Mm-hmm. Instead, focus on the things that unite you, and one of the best things that a family can do is we are the stories that we tell ourselves. And if you share family stories, memories, particularly the people who've come before you build up a whole backlog of identity of who you are and where you came from and what you're for. And I'll, I'll give you an example of, of a story from my family, from the uh, from my birth family. Uh-huh. 
it has to do with what the, the story that I'm going to tell has to do with embedding values in a family. And this one has to do with a Rockefeller. My, and it also comes from long ago, but it's a story that's told over and over again in, in my birth family. My brother in the 1930s, I mean, he's gone to his great reward now, but in the 1930s, he was a student at a small private school in Massachusetts. One of his classmates was one of the Rockefeller children. Well, I told you that I came from a hotel family, that my father was the co-founder of Sheraton. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the kids at this school were very, very privileged. My brother had a birthday party. At the birthday party, you know, all the the kids are having fun, and finally it comes to the end of the party, and their chauffeur-driven limousines come to pick them up at our estate in Lincoln, Massachusetts. But the little Rockefeller child, nobody's there to pick him up. And he's sort of, you know, shifting from one foot to another and looking awkward. I bet he's maybe 10 years old. And my mother, a very warm, embracing, maternal person, and she kind of flutters up to him. And she says, David, although I'm not sure that was his name, but I think it was. Yeah. Anyway, David, oh, your, your, your driver isn't here. Can I call him for you? And Roxanne answered, no, Mrs. Henderson. That's not the problem. The problem is I get 25 cents a week allowance, and I have to spend five cents of it for charity. I have to save five cents of it. So that left me 15 cents over, and I spend it on candy, and I don't have money for car fare home. <laughs> well, the, the Hendersons tell that story a million times because one of our values is being frugal. Yeah. And... And when you tell stories like that, it embeds in the culture of the whole family values. And um, you know, I have got a, I bet I bet I've got seventy or eighty cousins and nephews and and other relatives. And I think there's not one of them that I would say slathers money around. They're, they they don't believe in conspicuous consumption. They don't live life, lavish lifestyles. They're I, I think that kind of story is just so valuable. Yeah. Now, that's the real, real value of the family holidays, strength of the family, knowing who you are and where you came from. Our whole culture needs to return to civility. And the, what you uh, – civility begins in the family, really, but it just the, – the negative splashes out to the rest of the culture, which we see, I think, culture-wide. Uh, and when you're talking about having family stories and family values and and uh, uh, things around your family holidays, uh, the civility has to start in the family for the culture to change. Well, I'm a big believer in role modeling. Mm -hmm. uh, again, in both the families that I'm a part of, and together we've been if you put both families together, it's 224 years of learning to to get along with each other. One of the values that we have in the Hendersons is we don't, at least as far as the family goes, we don't encourage people to stand on principle. Because when you're standing on principle in an argument, that means that you've closed your mind and you're not going to listen to the other side. Mm -hmm. And it's standing on principle, to my mind, at least in the family, means you're announcing to everybody, I'm going to be stubborn. When you have a person who wants to talk politics 
and who is, you know, standing on principle, as you say, and and is jamming the conversation when really you're suggesting that you talk about family values and family traditions and you create them rather than uh, the political discussions. What advice do you have for the person who agrees with what you are saying? Look, let's not go there. But yet you have uh, the, you know, the blowhard in the family who comes in and demands to talk about politics. Do you just sit there and and let it try to let it pass? Or how do you how do you handle that? Well, that instantly makes me think of, of you mentioned that, that I'd written a guest editorial for Fox News, mm-hmm. and they invited me to be on Fox News. And by, by a kind of strange juxtaposition, the person who came before me was, uh, he was somebody who was advising you, ruin the, the family Thanksgiving if you need to, <laughs> but get your views out about how, how horrible one of the political figures in our country is, heck, it was Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was just there saying, it's more important to blow up the whole family than it is to uh, to be silent. And, you know, I'm listening to this thinking, good Lord, we're from different planets. Mm-hmm. And what would I do if, if he were at our Thanksgiving table? And, you know, at this point... Okay, you you've posed a really tough question. Yeah, it is, that, isn't it? If that man, <laughs> yeah, if that man were a family member, uh-huh. good lord, what would I do? Yeah, but I, uh, I guess prevention is the is the the best thing that you can do because it's understood, at least in the two families that I'm part of, is that we don't talk politics. Mm-hmm. The rule is that we we talk about what unites us rather than what divides us. But you know, I was so curious. During my time on Fox News, which is a really exciting thing for me, I mean, national television, <laughs> uh, but I was wondering, and I was, I, I wish I had some way of knowing whether my message, which is love and uplifting and unity and, and support and caring for each other and modeling good behavior, versus his, which was pretty much as totally opposite as, as two human beings could be, I wonder which... I don't wonder, I hope that a message of love and caring about each other would would carry more weight because the rewards of the rewards of a close family, oh my goodness, a high functioning family, one where you support each other and love each other and listen to each other and role, role model good behavior there's again there's a vast amount of studies on what happens when you have a high functioning supportive family versus one uh, where you're at each other's throats of the sort that the guy I was just describing. Sure. There's a lot of research coming out of Emory University in uh, in Atlanta. The woman who runs it is Robin Fivish. And what they've discovered is high-functioning families are ones who know their family stories, who who have absorbed family values. Those The kids who come from those families, they do better in school. They stay in school longer. They get they get better grades. They don't do drugs. Uh, they they are able to have good jobs. They form good marriages. So there's, you know, there's, to my mind, there's just every possible reason to focus on what unites us rather than what divides us. The, the rewards 
of happiness versus the punishment of misery is just to me it makes it a no-brainer that that we need to focus on what unites us rather than what divides us and by the way in one of my families the the political views are so extremely apart uh, one one member of one of my families is a professor of women's studies and you know she's really big on the idea that we should impeach the president mm-hmm. another member of the family uh, and they're both women in this case another woman member of the family thinks that the big question that we're wrestling with right now as a nation is is trump another churchill or is trump another reagan ah. <laughs> and can you imagine those two in the same room and oh. still you know carving up a, 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 a thanksgiving turkey and getting along oh boy the rule is that divides us it doesn't uh, unite us. And that is the key, it seems to me, that you have laid down, your family has laid down the rule that you have stated, this is the rule when we get together, and and uh, and they both know it. Yeah, and you know, I think they buy into it because the rewards of a, of a loving, strong family are, are just enormous. And well, another quick story, and it has to do with why I wrote How to Make Your Family Business Last. Mm-hmm. I, because I come from two families, the Sheraton family and the Purdue family, I lived in New York for five years, and I became member of a group called the Famous Last Names Club. And this group, one of the rules of belonging to it is that you couldn't tell the names of the people in it, but... If you think of a famous name, there's a fair chance that that represented in the famous last names club. Mm-hmm. And what we did was we'd get together every six weeks or so and we'd talk about issues that come with having a famous last. The famous last names club, by the way, was business families. Uh, and it actually meant families of means. Well, one day we we're sitting around and you know, we all liked each other and enjoyed each other and you know, it was it was a nice group. But one day, the topic that we discussed was, how well do you get along with your siblings? Well, there were 16 people at at this private dining room of a bank and a you know, very elaborate mahogany table. Uh, well, we the question was, how well do you get along with your siblings? And we go around the table with each person explaining what their relationship with their siblings I was last in this. Well, as we went around the table, the first person was telling about how she couldn't get along with her two brothers in the family business, and they were squeezing her out by never letting her know when important meetings were happening. And she said this was this was just, you know, it, it just hurt and hurt and hurt. The next one told about how she had a brother with substance abuse and how he wasn't pulling his share and how this was just catastrophic for the family. The third person told about how she was in a lawsuit with her brothers uh, and you know the pain of the of knowing that they weren't putting their attention into the family business and that their competitors were taking advantage of this. She said the pain of this permeates every hour of every day. And as we went around the table, most famous last names club members were having terrible problems with their with their siblings. And then it came my turn. Well, in both my family of origin and my family by marriage, my best friends in the world are 
of either my siblings or my my stepchildren. I mean, I love them. I I just I feel that if I'm in trouble, they'll support me. If they're in trouble, I'll support them. I enjoy being with them. And I'm thinking, gosh, if I tell that to the other members of the Famous Last Names Club, I'm going to come across as the worst goody two-shoes in the whole... (laughs) Yeah, I can So uh, I I just sort of went mumble, 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 everybody's family is different, Mm. and they they didn't pursue it. So I I got by without telling them (laughs) that... uh, you know, that my family really, really, really is different. <laughs> but that inspired me to write the book. I see. And I, I wrote the book because I have you know, 224 years of experience, if you put the two families together, of, of ways that you develop a culture where you support each other rather than tear each other apart. And frankly, there's just no payoff for tearing each other apart because... You're not going to change any minds, but you are going to make everybody miserable, and you'll probably cost everybody a lot of money in lawsuits. Or if, if you don't go to the law, you can, you know, the family can just blow up, and you don't get the love and support that. Mm. Sure. That, that to me is just one giant safety net that you're not alone in the world. You've you've got friends, mm. you've got relatives. I'm talking with Mitzi Perdue, who is a daughter of uh, co-founder of the Sheridan Hotels and wife of the late uh, Frank Perdue of Perdue Chicken and the author of How to Make Your Family Business Last. Well, uh, tell us, Mitzi, what's uh, the the thrust of your book? Uh, obviously, the thrust is is in the title, How to Make Your Family Business Last. Tell us, give us some insights as to uh, other things that are in the book. Well, things that might interest a general audience is at least a third of the book is encouraging family members to be all they can be. And that means uh, such things as, well, in, in a family business, it's it's a really good idea if you take public speaking courses. And since I've, I have taught public speaking for years and years and years, I, I give all sorts of, of hints on that. Uh, it helps to be a communicator and since I've actually written 20 books, I give all sorts of tips for just for normal people of, of how to write, uh, whether it's family newsletters or or if you're part of a family business, you it, it's just a great idea to have stories about your business appear in, in the local press or national if you can swing it. And so I, I give all sorts of like practical tips. And then a big part of it is I give success tips. Uh, they, they work for businesses, but I think they, they work for just human relations as well. And I'll give an example of, of a story I tell in the book, and it has to do with how my father created Sheraton from pretty much nothing. I mean, he started out as a World War I veteran. He and his roommate from college and his brother had between them $1,000. Well, by the time of his death at age 70, he had grown that $1,000 into billions because he had more than 100 hotels, and, and he had other ventures as well. Well, what what made it possible for him to go from I guess he was his share of that was a third of a thousand dollars. What made it possible for one man to build a whole hotel empire? But he also he was in several other things, such as uh, he made aluminum parts for cars in in Detroit. There was you know he was just into a ton of things. 
as a child growing up, I was forever asking him, you know, Daddy, how did you do this? And he, he had various answers, and I share them in my book. Mm. But I'll tell you one of them. He said when he'd take over a hotel, and this was the 1930s during the Great Depression, during the Great Depression, people were running away from any kind of real estate as fast as they could. But most of all, they were running away from hotels because they were all going bankrupt. Well, with his very meager amount of money, he bought, he and his partners bought one hotel. That hotel, uh, he, what he did was something that he did with all the hundred hotels that he bought from then on, which is he gathered the, uh, he would do this really with, with every hotel he ever bought. Mm-hmm. He would gather the employees into the ballroom and, you know, he's a smart guy. He knew that that everybody there was demoralized. They were expecting to lose their jobs because, you know, when a hotel goes bankrupt, they could assume that uh, that he'd want to do some house cleaning and get rid of them all, and that he probably had his own relatives that he wanted to hire. Instead, he'd stand up in front of maybe several hundred employees, or if it was a large hotel, it could be 800 or 1,000 employees, and he'd tell them, you know, just almost the first words out of his mouth, your jobs are safe. I'm not letting. I'm not firing one of you. You all get to show me how good you are, because I know that you will be the reason that this hotel is going to be a success. You'll see in a couple of years it will be the most popular hotel in the whole city, and my job is to give you the resources to show just how good you are, and and yeah. So that's very encouraging that, mm-hmm. to them to begin with. But that's not the end of the story. When you take over a hotel, you have to invest, or at least one that's gone bankrupt, you have to invest some really serious money into refurbishing it because, you know, the guests don't want something that's threadbare and dirty windows and so on. Sure. Well, the first money that he'd ever spend with every hotel he ever bought was he would refurbish the areas that the guests would never see. He'd refurbish the employee dining room. It refurbished uh, the locker rooms, the showers. The in later on in his career, when we had a world famous decorator, her name was Mary Kennedy. Her first job wasn't to redecorate guest rooms; it was to to upgrade and refurbish the employee areas. And Father did that because he said, and and this is a big point in in how to make your family business last. He said people have a compulsion to either live up to or down to your expectations of them. And when you tell them that you believe in them and that they can make it the most popular hotel in the city, people want to do that. And, you know, first of all, it worked. Uh, The hotels did become popular. But on top of that, it meant extraordinary employee retention. If you started work with my father, you probably spent the rest of your life with him and had just incredible loyalty to, to him because loyalty is a two-way street. And you know, he was demonstrating his loyalty to them, and they returned it. And I think that was one of the biggest factors in why, why he became a very, very successful man. Mm, yes. And uh, I really would recommend that book not only for uh, – businesses but you know we started our discussion about families uh, and whether you're a business owner or a business manager 
certainly this is the way you should uh, you should uh, present yourself to your family too. Uh, the book is How to Make Your Family Business Last, and the um, the author is my guest here, Mitzi Perdue. Thank you so much for being with us today. Do I have a, a chance to tell our listeners a way of getting the book much less expensively than they would at Amazon? Please do. Okay, uh, because I'm so anxious for this information to get out, uh, I'm making it available on my website for $10. Uh, Amazon is twenty-seven ninety-five. Uh-huh. Um, to get to that, I have a secret page, which is, your, our listeners can can hear it, uh, but it's it's not available elsewhere. Uh-huh. It, my website is mitziperdue.com, and to get the discount, it's mitziperdue.com forward slash discount. Okay, great. And we'll uh, we'll keep that secret uh, from Amazon. Okay. Well, I own the book, so they they can't stop me. <laughs> oh man, thank you. This has been this has been a joy. I appreciate it a lot. And I tell you what, uh, I'm going to go to that myself, and uh, uh, I, I'm going to kind of tick off um, what uh, what I can do uh, for my Christmas list by going to mitziperdue.com forward slash discount you've just given me you know i'm a guy and guys are notorious for not knowing what to give you've just given me many great ideas what to give so i'm going to do that well in which case uh at the website mitziperdue.com mm-hmm. there's a and this is for any of our listeners if you will write to me you know put in the order and then tell me uh who you would like an autograph to and i regularly get um purchase orders for 20 at a time for people who want to have Christmas gifts. In fact, today I'm coping with autographing 300 because there's a guy who wants to give all his clients (laughs) a book. So, um, yes, I totally recommend it for a Christmas gift. Okay. Thank you very much for joining us today. I've loved it. Thank you so much. Mitzi Perdue. I'm Tom Moeller, and this has been Colorado Issues.